This is GSAP Conversations from the Graduate School of Architecture, Planning and Preservation at Columbia University in New York City. I'm Dean Amal Andraos. Thanks for listening. I'm Andrew Nolan Davis, a second year student in the Critical, Curatorial and Conceptual Practices program at Columbia GSAP. I'm speaking today with Mexican architect Frida Escobedo, whose exhibition number nine opened at the school's Arthur Ross Architectural Gallery on October 20th, 2017. Designed and curated by Frida Escobedo, the exhibition explores the history of Mexico City's La Ruta de la Amistad, The Route of Friendship, and its accompanying project of 19 monumental sculptures created on the occasion of the 1968 Olympic Games. At the Ross Gallery, she specifically investigates and responds to La Ruta's sculpture number nine, created by American artist Todd Williams. The show stays on view through January 19th, 2018. Hi, Frida. Thanks for speaking with me today. Thanks for having me. So I want to begin by talking about something that you've spoken about before, the modus operandi of the work that you do. You've described it as a theoretical framework that addresses time not as a historical calibration, but rather as a social operation. Can you go into that in more detail and perhaps identify some of the instances in your architecture where time has played a central role? Yes, well, maybe the the best way to explain it would be with this specific project. When we're talking about historical time, we're talking about like a a specific moment, like a change, something that marks time, like revolutions or events that are represented in space with monuments or uh, this type of buildings. But social time uh, happens in a different uh, time frame. So social time is more about duration. I think this is something that is very hard to grasp. But if you pay close attention, it's always present in architecture, in public spaces or in domestic spaces. It's always something that is um, kind of changing the condition of our built environment. So for example, for the Ruta de la Amistad, we're looking at these 19 sculptures that were created for this event, the Cultural Olympics that accompanied the Sports Olympic in 68. But when we found these images uh, in the archives, you could actually see how they depended on the social time, the the moment of construction, which is also the moment of ruination of an event. And this kind of tells another story. It's almost like a rhizomatic thing that takes you to the political aspects of, of the Mexico City of the 68, and then what we do with that, with what passed in the future. So you have often stated that your work focuses particularly on reactivating urban spaces that may otherwise be considered residual or forgotten. And at the same time, your studio's work seems to avoid classification, operating somewhere between art, architecture, and urban design, which gives you flexibility uh, when approaching a design problem. Given that we're speaking on the occasion of your most recent exhibition here at GSAP, and it's worth mentioning also a related installation at the Architecture Biennial of Orléans, Can you talk a bit about how you view exhibitions as a register for your architectural practice and the effects that they have on your goals to transform forgotten urban spaces? Yes, uh, probably it's because of the context that I work in. I I live and work in Mexico City and there's no way to have like a blank sheet of paper to design. So you're always starting with some pre-existent condition. As a young practitioner, I also found that it is in these like, little spaces, the residual and the forgotten, that we have most opportunities, especially in my generation. 
So, for example, I started my practice in 2003 and I was collaborating with Jose Rojas very early on and we were renovating this hotel in Acapulco, which is in an area that's not popular in Acapulco anymore. It's the, the, the original Acapulco, the old Acapulco. But it became a really good opportunity for us to explain these ideas of modernism and how they were adapted by, by the, the tropical Mexico and transformed into something else. And then we could be able to reinterpret it and transform it into something that's a hotel, that is something very commercial. But it served as, as a window for us to explore these ideas. We, for example, we're now doing a, a hotel in Puebla. So we're thinking about this idea of the ruin within a ruin. Uh, this was uh, an uh, early 19th century house, but we're, we decided to like kind of insert some kind of a ruin inside it. So I guess that's a condition in Mexico City and that has helped us to develop a practice that allows us to see into the past but to continue to build in the present. Right. And just to follow up, how do you think that plays out in exhibitions? You've been a part of the Venice Biennial, you've done uh, architectural events in New York and San Francisco and Lisbon. So how does that play out at the scale of the exhibition or maybe in the space of the gallery? Well, it's been interesting because exhibitions and biennials have allowed us to understand architecture in a very different time frame. When you think about architecture, you think about like years, you know? like maybe it takes a year to develop a project and then it's something that's very permanent or we think about it as something very permanent. But with these temporary installations, you actually get to see architecture from a different perspective. You see that it changes, that it's adapted and adopted by people. To, to me, this is super interesting, you know? like this um, moment of real intensity that happens in a pavilion, for example, like in El Eco, which was changing very fast but then had to disappear. It's almost like compressing the life of architecture and, and seeing it through a different lens. And that gets back to time. Exactly, right? yes, exactly. Yeah. So it kind of stretches the, the social time in a way and compresses the, the idea of historical time that we were talking about. Your studio's work with La Ruta de la Amistad in a way reveals hidden and perhaps unwritten narratives uh, related to the, this particular time in history and in that sense opens up many possible discussions about the efficacy of this, these kinds of cultural programs as agents of urban development. However, I want to know how you think this project becomes operative in discourse today, specifically within the constellation of social issues that is related to the Ruta. Well, it's it's almost very serendipitous, but the 68th anniversary is next year. So oh, wow. <laughs> this, this is one of the things that I feel like you don't, you're not looking for them, but they kind of find you. I got a call early this year, like in January, from Irene. She was looking for a project, an exhibition for, for this space, but at the same time I got a, a call from the Orleans Biennial. And the theme for the Orleans Biennial was walking on someone else's dream. And this was a very broad theme, like it was like anything could be presented in that type of exhibition. So I went to Orleans and looking through the archive, which was part of the intention of the program to, to dig into the archive and create a piece that had a conversation with it. I found like a very tiny little photograph, on, almost like on a scrap of paper, of the Ruta de la Amistad under construction. And then it was like, wow, this is it. This is, this is the moment where you realize that the political aspect of 68 was very fragile and it was almost uh, scenographic and spectacular. I didn't even know the text uh, Spectacular Mexico, the book by Luis Castañeda at the time. So this kind of just like clicked in the moment. And then from there we developed this idea. So I guess the importance is like to understand how to look at specific 
monuments in the city or things that happened in the past with, with critical eyes. I grew up in, in the south of Mexico City, so I had uh, relatives that were living very close to the sculptures. And we were playing in, in, the, in the vicinities when we were kids, we were climbing these sculptures. But I never really realized that there were not massive concrete things, that they were hollow, and that they were hollowed both uh, physically and conceptually. So this, this clicked just when I saw that little photo. To get a little bit into more of the curatorial concepts behind the mm-hmm. exhibition, which is that you chose in Orléans to produce it full scale, right? It's mm-hmm. it's a one-to-one replication of number 16 along That's the right. route. Here at GSAP, you've chosen to sort of scale it down. Now, obviously, you weren't going to fit the full thing into our tiny gallery. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, the question, I guess, is how do you pick scale? How do you, how do you pick what piece, details from the historic information make it into your final creation. Mm-hmm. So maybe talk a little bit about that process. Well, th- these were other two very like weird coincidences when when we decided to do this project and like say let's build one of these sculptures all over again with just the skeleton. We were looking for Olivier Segan. We knew he was living in France. But he kind of disappeared from the map. Then the Frag Center contacted the embassy and they were trying to find him. And eventually we, find, we found out that he was living in Orleans, mm. which was a surprise. Um, so that's also very serendipitous. And uh, we got some images from his archive. And the same thing happened with number nine. It, it made sense to make the sculpture of the country we were presenting on, but we didn't know if we were going to be able to find Todd Williams or if he was, he was going to be interested in participating in the project in any way, but it happened that these are two of the three sculptures that are still alive that participated in Ruta de la Amistad, and it was just something that happened. Like, we, we were not looking to do an exhibition on, in the U.S. or in France. This is something that just happened. And regarding the, the question of how we were picking the things that would inform the project, it was also very organic. We were looking at the photographs, and we were trying to almost it's like an archaeology project like you, you're looking at the photographs or you're trying to interpret them and to turn them into three-dimensional models to then make it a sculpture and trying to find the, the right weight of the metal pieces so they can fit into a plane and they can be shipped to the U.S. or to Orleans so it's kind of this very spontaneous process but I think it, it, it also speaks about the process that happened in 68 when they invited the sculptures, they just submitted tiny models. They were like scale models that had to be translated into the final sculpture. So I think this is also a process of translation, how things really happen in urban space. It's not that you have a specific idea, that specific idea happens. For example, the sculptures also were supposed to be quite larger, but then the budget had to be reduced, so that they shrank, basically, the sculptures. (laughs) Matthias Geritz had an idea of having these sculptures as being something way more monumental than they are. So it's it's kind of a similar process now. It's amazing. So for our last question, I just want to maybe broaden out to your whole 10 years that you've been operating mm-hmm. um, and talk a bit more about your other projects. You've, you have like an impressive range of typologies in your portfolio, whether it's you know, single-family residential or like these community-based facilities like La Teller Siqueiros. And I know you're working on two social housing developments right now. So I, I wanted to bring those into the conversation 
uh, just as a way of talking about how you got involved in social housing and social projects in general. And maybe tying it back to that notion of time, how does a project like a single family house differ from social housing in that respect? Of course. Um, well, this is something that's happening in Mexico City, and I think this is something that's really amazing. Like, there's a very large group of architects from my generation and maybe two generations up and down that, be, that have been working on social housing for quite a while now. And this has been, like, almost thanks to uh, one institution, Infonavit, and Carlos Cedillo in particular. He has been inviting us to participate in this uh, projects for a very long time now, like from just uh, renovating the public spaces within social housing projects that are already built to creating new new proposals for, for housing. This is something that is just happening in the city and we're participating and we're grateful. And regarding the the relationship between this idea of how time evolves in, into, the, into the social housing, I think this is something really similar and it's just about understanding how actually family lives a family lives in a house no like when you go to mexico city and you start and you start seeing self construction houses you realize that there is an economy to the means but there's also like a very specific logic no you need to build your space as you grow your family so this is something that we need to learn from especially in, in a context where crisis are like something that's the everyday thing you need to understand how to make the most of, out of the like lesser means so when we're proposing, for example, a, so a social housing project, we try to do as much as possible with as little resources so we can reduce the debt of the family. This is something that's very important for us, like how do we create less de debt for the family? So instead of getting more money, we want them to get l little money <laughs> and, to, and for them to finish the house. So they're not chained to this financial scheme anymore. So we create the envelope, for example, and it's more like an implosive kind of growth instead of an expansion. We try to play with those strategies in, in, in the architecture that we do. That's great. Thank you so much, Frida. Thank you so much for the interview and the time. This podcast was produced by Columbia GSAP in collaboration with ARC Daily. You can find more information about the school on our website at arc.columbia.edu.